You're listening to 66.6 FM Radio TOVH The Flush Well hey there everybody, it's me, Joe Thrashenkill You're listening to another thrilling episode of The Toilet of Hell Radio Show we got a full house today, I'm talking of course uh, on, on my left side, I've got The 365 Days of Horror or is uh, the guy we like to call Jordan. Jordan, how are you? I didn't win the billion-dollar lottery, so I'm not great. Oh, bummer, man. you got to keep buying tickets, I guess. Uh, and uh, on the other side, we got uh, Bruno. Bruno, how are you? The right-hand man. That's me. You know what? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do it today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the one to do it. If I could do this one-handed. Yep. Yeah! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what we Oh, like. yeah! Perfect. Um, excited about today's show, boys? I, I am excited about today's show because this is something that uh, we threatened to do a while ago, and uh, we're actually following through on it, which I always find yeah. exciting. Yeah, only a few months, few months late, yeah, maybe. We had to like let all these episodes come out though, because I'm not one of those guys that's going to watch a show like watch one episode a week, and I can't wait to see what happens next week. I yeah. my my uh my memory is fucked. I have to watch it all in one go or it's all out the brain. We'd be dedicating like every episode we do for all of those weeks to the show, right? Yeah. Cuz as things come out, we have to give an update every episode and and this is not worth that much dedication at all. Absolutely not. This is something that I found mildly amusing uh and uh, amusing enough to to follow through with it for let's say two episodes exactly. <laughs> no more, no less. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, folks, uh, what, what were we, Jordan? What were we talking about months ago? We are watching and reviewing the No Cover YouTube show that features a bunch of unsigned bands and uh, a bloodless revolution of trying to get a record deal from Sumerian Records of all places, mm. uh, getting. Working with a booking agency, having management, getting a whole bunch of gear, and getting slots on festivals. Yeah. Um, we'll get into the implications of what that all means <laughs> later. <laughs> right. It's like I feel like my my first gut feeling on this is, um, is getting signed to Sumerian Records really something so hotly contested uh, among guys in the scene that – they would literally have a contest just to make it happen. I think if we were to go back about 10 years ago, yeah, I, I think that would be a pretty hot ticket circa 2012. Nowadays, I'm not so sure, but that's neither here nor there. Let's, let's go ahead and for folks that missed those episodes a while back, uh, let's go ahead and give a, a broad overview, overview here. <clears throat> no cover is the name of the show and it is sponsored by hit parader. Hit Parader, as you folks will remember from the 90s, uh, was the source uh, for uh, pull-out uh, posters of Slipknot, uh, Rob Zombie, etc., etc. Uh, about 50 years prior to that, it was the source of, I don't know, like, Jumpin' Johnny's Rockabilly Cats or whatever. <laughs> Hit Parader has been around for a very long time, right? I uh, I was a big fan of Circus myself because Circus literally put like two articles in a whole magazine and everything else was just like photos you would cut out and put on your walls. I mean, I think I think that's uh, that has been Circus and Hit Parader's strategy 
Uh, going back to like the 50s, it was they know that teenagers can barely read. They just want to see pictures of the artists that they like. <laughs> the Hip Parader was started in 1942. Crazy. Wow. Uh, giving the reviews of the latest penny whistles. <laughs> uh, so it was, a, I think Hip Parader was gone for a good 15 to 20 years there and then recently purchased by who was it again matt pinfield who we'll talk about yes ash avilton who we'll talk about oh yeah and josh bernstein they, they it's not a magazine anymore at least not in the traditional sense it's they just purchased the rights to the name and it's now their production company yeah kind of kind of weird stuff here um I will say for a uh, a YouTube only show, uh, I thought that uh, Hit Parader's no cover was actually pretty uh, pretty high quality in terms of uh, production and uh, and the guests uh, that they got for judges and everything like that. I was I was pretty impressed. What did you guys think? I thought yeah, I thought it was at least a VH1 level production. Yeah, see, I thought I, it was fine. I have the sense that they wanted this to be on television. Like, that was the plan, at least when they started forming and even filming it. Because, at least for the episodes that make it onto YouTube, they're all weird times. It's not just a straight 23-minute show taking into account seven minutes for commercials. It's like, some of it's 33, some of it's 36, and as we get later on, some of them are like over an hour long. So my sense is that they wanted this to actually end up somewhere on TV, whether it was a VH1 or... MTV Ocho or you know whatever VH1 thing is left because there is some production to it and they do have some names but it's like not quite there to be on TV it's like they realized halfway through like ah we'll just throw in some sound effects when a judge says something controversial and <laughs> it, it'll be like a real TV show it's good enough. I love that yeah. like the um shooing like whenever the judge says something that's maybe slightly critical yeah I'm just I, gonna I, zoom in on the guy's crying face it didn't matter how withering the cut down was it you were always gonna hear that like uh, I don't know I thought you guys could have uh, been a little bit tighter <laughs> versus like you were you were it's, playing a solo sick. in the wrong key. Boom. It was, it was slightly out of key, or like they would hit a block with a, a or like a snare drum, which is like a pop. Very weird, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's better than what you would think a YouTube show should be. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't watch shit on YouTube, but we've established that. But uh, I, I thought this was very professional, and I think that you're right. This was probably initially planned for VH1. Uh, I imagine that all of these celebrity guests on here were pretty pissed when they realized it wasn't going to be on the real TV. <laughs> <laughs> Alice Cooper, specifically. Yes. I don't want to give up the lead, you know. We got all these judges to talk about. We should talk about the judges. Let's absolutely talk about these judges because, for me, this is what really makes the show uh, yeah. this motley crew of people <laughs> it's the worst selection of judges all you know certainly talented enough and with enough experience but put together very interesting selection yeah um let's let's start off with the the big man the alice cooper uh he's surely the biggest get in this whole competition right yeah that's a guy that i was very surprised to see on such a s small production like him to even bother that's that was that was interesting to me because there must have been some sense, right, that he would have wanted to have ended up on VH1 or TLC or the Food Network or something, right? Yeah. 
He's like, I'm actually famous. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't do shit for YouTube. Um, one of the, the strongest selling points I can give you if you're on the fence about watching this program uh, is that Alice Cooper's facial reaction to these bands is probably the, the funniest element of the entire show. He is uh, he is not good at blocking his feelings there. <laughs> <laughs> it's complete disinterest or just, you know, shocked that anyone would dare try to call some of these things music. Yeah, he he cringes pretty deeply on some of these. He has a look of total consternation at one nerd ass band. Like it's pretty it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but he but he's not all. Let's talk about some of these other judges. Um, you got Lizzie Hale. Was it from Hailstorm? Right. Yes. Uh, Lizzie Hale. Uh, I'm not super familiar with uh, with her work, uh, but she's uh, she's pretty funny on this show as well. Uh, she seems very uh, salty compared to the other judges. She's likable. Yeah. I, she's one of those people in modern music where I could pretty confidently say this is someone who has good taste in music, but knows that you know the the general masses appreciate the slop. So her band is is very very like cookie cutter radio rock hailstorm is is not a good band I don't appreciate them but um, from the interviews she's given and the things she's discussed music wise I, I think that like she's she's a lady who definitely knows her stuff has good taste but you know uses her powers for evil <laughs> uh, looking at they're, this- they're also they come up in a time where there's not a lot of radio rock so I think like by default. They manage to do fairly well for themselves because there's not much competition, at least for newish bands. That yeah, sense. that was definitely a close the door behind you kind of situation in terms <laughs> of <laughs> like label success. Yeah. Hailstorm, everybody. And uh, they, they get radio airplay and they play on the big, more like broader music festivals. Like they're not on Maryland Death Fest, but they could play on whatever big day out Reading Festival type things and Rocklahoma. play in front of 10,000, 40,000 people and they seem to enjoy it. I didn't yeah. realize uh, that she didn't use an I in her, her name, Lizzie. It's just L-Z-Z-Y. Did you guys know that? Pretty rock and roll, man. That is pretty rock and roll. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very Aussie referential. Kind of. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on here to, to I don't know, this is, I, I'm a big fan, uh, Gavin Rosdale. Oh Bush. man, I loved Gavin in the show. I really did. I need, I need to. What I love most about Gavin, uh, and I'll go ahead and say this: like I, I'm on the record, I like the band Bush. I think that's probably one of the better uh, butt rocking bands of the '90s. Breeze in, breeze out. I, I they had a, they had a ton of hits. They had yeah, a ton of hits. Absolutely. I owned all of those records. I still like those records. I will not apologize for any of that. Um, and it's just so fun. It's not funny. It is damning i guess having to watch like somebody who has been known for being young and hot for 30 years <laughs> suddenly have it all catch up to him stop he's still got it man come on gavin looks like he just woke up from the shittiest decade anyone's ever had <laughs> for this show well, he, specifically he did so you know he did have a very public divorce from his wife, who oh, no. has been on major network television, making googly eyes at her future husband. So yeah, oh, yeah. that would that would make me age a few years as well. I, I do you think... know what I like about? I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you know what I really liked about Gavin in this whole show is that 
obviously he's an expert in his field. He's made a lot of amazing music in his time. He's very talented. He has tons of fans, but his job here was to be a, a judge. His job here was to express himself and his opinion. And I got to say, everybody, Gavin Rosdale, uh, conversationally, he talks like a guy who's like four beers in <laughs> at like a townhouse party um, with everything he says. And he's quiet. Like, yeah, yeah. He's not a talker, that one. He looks like he is four beers deep right now. <laughs> That's right. He might be. <laughs> he might be. Yeah. But every other word is like, yeah, you know, like, um, you know, like, yeah, I mean, like, that's like a thing that, you know, it's the way it is. But, you know, I really great things. Yeah, guys, good jobs. You know, great. Um, Again, uh, I'm just I'm happy to see Gavin around kicking. You know, the, the last thing of consequence I think I saw him do was Constantine, which uh, I'm on the record was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to say this was also a big get for the yeah. judges, I think. I'm not saying Lizzie Hale wasn't a big get, um, but Alice Cooper, Lizzie Hale and Gavin Rosdale, like all in a row. These are these are big gets for uh, uh, I mean, Sumerian's not a small label, but it's smaller than these guys. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, let's go. We've got two more judges here. Uh, one that uh, I can't say enough good things about and one that I can't say enough bad things about. <laughs> Where do we want to start? <laughs> <laughs> well, give me the bad news first, right? That's how this goes. Uh, we have someone called Bishop Briggs on the show. <laughs> Who the fuck is Bishop Briggs? I don't That's know, but she know. sucks so hard, dude. <laughs> um, I hated Bishop. I hated her. And it wasn't because she makes music I don't like or anything. I'm not that shallow. It's just, uh, God, she was just, it's like for the entire competition, she just maintained her deer in headlights look. And just head bobbed like positively through every performance. Everything was great. Everything was good enough. You know, she was just Mr. Mrs. Little like Bill Jump Buttercup the whole show. I want Didn't to really collab with you. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous that like and I don't even I'm not even kidding. I wish I could perform like this song like in one of my sets. Oh, my God. It was great. Well, she was the Paula Abdul of no cover. And just like who we're going to talk about in a minute was like the Randy. <laughs> um, yeah, she was a, a pop star, which I think is a good thing to have on the show because, it, at least for me, it wasn't clear until I started watching that this isn't a rock band competition, right? Because there are there are pop acts, there are like disco acts. It's not just rock, it's not just metal. So I think it's good to have someone in that world to be throwing in their two cents. However, you know. <laughs> However, that might make you feel, I think, at least that works in the sense of someone jumping in and saying, yeah, it's okay that they don't actually play an instrument. They look good and they sound good for what they're trying to do. Um, so it so, didn't bother me as much as it bothered you guys. I guess I don't. Yeah, I don't know if her feature bothered me. I think her personality. Bothered yes, that's me. that's what got me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, like she uh, her shtick, I think, is kind of like pop music. But like, what if I was a little bit dark and edgy, which is a thing that is carried through through almost all of the judges, including the like ancillary judges where they want pop artists to specifically rip off Billie Eilish. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I get it. But also, like, have a little bit of tact while you're doing this. I mean, there's songs on the radio right now that I thought were done by Billie Eilish but aren't 
Like it's really a thing in pop music when when someone comes up and they they have a little bit of originality to them. Like oh, we're it, gonna it's a fucking major. feast on that carcass, dude. Yeah, it's it, it's a fucking bandwagon uh, road rage rush, man. It's it's crazy. Um, everybody's got to make their money on that. But hey, that's you know, I, like I said, I I don't uh, not appreciate her feature. A pop artist definitely had a place in this competition as a judge. I just don't think she really knew very much about what she was talking about. <laughs> But let's go ahead and talk about the uh, the standout, the final and the standout host of all of this, uh, the guy that really makes this show worthwhile. I'm talking, of course, about Tosin Abasi of Animals as Leaders. Uh, absolute king on this show. <laughs> what an odd man out, you know? Um, odd you had man an otherwise out, but pretty, yeah. Also, like, hands down the funniest person here. Uh, has some real fucking bars for all of these guys. <laughs> you you talked about Alice Cooper having funny facial expressions. Oh to- my god, Tosin had no poker face for any of these bands. You could see like when he does enjoy something, but you could mostly see when he has full disdain for what he's watching. And as we get into some of these bands, some of his comments are very biting and i really didn't disagree with anything that he had to say for these bands because he is out of all these judges and mostly out of all these bands he's the most talented person oh yeah and he's he's the one who has like the most musical knowledge and like craftsmanship and guitar ability so he can hear and point out and he does what these bands are doing wrong which i think was a good addition compared to some of the other judges who are just like, yeah, you need a look or, you know, keep trying even though you shouldn't. Um, yeah. yeah, I I think the unique thing about Tosin Abasi is he genuinely did not like any of the music that was performed during the show. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he really had to struggle to, to make some positive remarks about just about anybody. It, it really is like if one of us was uh, <laughs> on the panel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I really dig your vibe. Uh, there's a lot of energy there. That's great. <laughs> we can, we'll definitely get more into that as we talk about the bands. So let's go ahead and offer the preface here. Uh, for this episode, we watched the first six episodes of this show. I believe there are 11 uh, in this first season. Um, so we saw, I think, almost all of the bands uh, perform at least one song. Uh, there are three or four here that we did not get to either because uh, maybe it's on the next episode uh, or maybe we forgot entirely. <laughs> or maybe an episode just never made it to YouTube. Like when we did Battle for Ozfest, there was just one episode with Bill Ward gone from the internet. It's entirely possible. Um, before we get into the bands, we have to talk about the hosts as well. Do we? Because it doesn't seem like they offered much. We can make it brief because there were two hosts on the show for some reason. Uh, Katie Babs, who is from Sirius XM. I don't have Sirius Radio, so I can't say anything. Although I will say she does have a good radio voice. I'll give her that. Yeah. Nobody should have Sirius Radio, by the way. (laughs) In this era, no, absolutely not. No. And the other co-host is Kellen Quinn of Sleeping With Sirens, who... Has a voice. Do you remember Timmy and Lords of the Underworld from yes. South Park? <laughs> Sounds like the one guy who's like, come on, guys, let's, let's not fight. Let's just play the show. Have you ever heard uh, Sleeping with Sirens, their music? 
Probably, but I think they just blend together with all those other bands from that era. I think the thing that was truly unique about that band is that his voice was like nine octaves higher than all of the other ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had, um, you know, I, I, I speak out a lot about things like toxic masculinity and and whatever, but this this is like a grown man. You know, I, I can't imagine going through life just being like, that's me. That's, that's me. Hi, guys. Uh, My name is Killin' Quinn. Yeah, credit to this guy. He really made it work for him. Uh, of course, now he's like probably knocking on the door of 30. It's like, God damn, what do I do with my life now? Mm. I have to be an adult. <laughs> yeah. Probably didn't need two hosts for this. Probably didn't need one host for this, but oh. I guess uh, Ash is helping out his friends. Uh, that's That's got to be the case, I guess. Uh, so He always is. For each episode, you see the hosts for maybe about one minute to say the exact same things they say every single episode. Pretty unnecessary, IMO. And we get Matt Pinfield interviewing the bands after they're set. The Matt Pinfield. <laughs> the Matt Pinfield. I forgot how short he was. <laughs> maybe all the all the bands are just very tall. I I also uh, forgot how old he was. He is like the years have not been kind to small well, sensitive Matt Pinfield. He's had substance uh, issues, and uh, recently during the pandemic, uh, they cropped up again. But he is older. He's been around a long time. He's been involved in music. I think he had a radio show going back to the 80s, and then obviously MTV, 120 Minutes, that sort of thing. So he's been kicking around a long time, and I would say underutilized in this show. And it kind of comes back to... Should this have really been a 33-minute show or if this was an hour long on a real station, would we have gotten more interview time, more like backstage stuff where we actually get to learn about these bands? Because some of these bands are on for literally like 30 seconds yeah, where we get like 10 seconds of music and the show kind of plays their hand a little bit with those bands. Like, oh, okay, they're obviously not moving on because we gave them no time. Yeah, I... I, uh... I think Matt Pinfield by himself could have just been the host. They didn't I, need I the two other you. people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, an interesting thing here as well is that uh, a lot of the performances, uh, bands get to perform one original song. That's the whole thing uh, for this these first rounds. Uh, a lot of them are truncated. Uh, they're they're uh, sliced up pretty good down the middle or wherever and and some bands uh, get to perform for longer on this show and some uh, some much much shorter <laughs> yeah we Not get a little bit, yeah. we get a little intro maybe a hook and then them finishing yeah uh, not to mention course, one of the reasons I, I was able to do this homework and I, I became I was prepared for this episode, which is rare for you guys. I'm sure you were willing and ready to explain this whole thing to me. Um, but the reason I was so successful in getting through these episodes is because I skipped a lot of the music. Oh, um, you got, you, you got like 30 seconds out of me for most of these bands. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. A lot of this stuff and we'll get more into it is just shit. You've heard 10 trillion times in other very mediocre forms. Yeah. I, I can't argue with that at all. Um, well, uh, what do you think? Should we go through uh, some of these artists and uh, in our impressions and such? Yeah, we can go episode by episode. Do you have the episode uh, who who was on each episode? Because that shit is gone from my mind. I was prepared. I Love was it. good. Love I did it. it. So episode one, the first band we see, and this is one of those cases where we hear like eight seconds of music, 
It was Scarlet View from Kansas City. They had the song My Fight. This was the band that is like just kind of rock music. Their vocalist, I my note here is not George Clark. Because he had that type of look. In he that looks picture. just like George Clark. He looks yeah. just like him. He, but like, with like scarfs on. He looks like a Coles George Clark. Coles George Clark. Yeah. <laughs> um, like if George Clark thought that Steven Tyler dressed well, that's what this guy would look like. There we go. Uh, I, I barely remember this band in that nothing was interesting at all about them. Uh, yeah, I, they were a band. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there was nothing to write home about in any conceivable way. And I think that the hosts had a similar view <laughs> viewpoint as I did. Yeah. Uh, and I, be- the- I believe yeah. that this was the one where Tosin was like, you re- you obviously wrote a song, uh, which is good, uh, but there's nothing <laughs> that makes you stand out. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. Yes. And that would be... Um- that would be a constant throughout the competition in terms of criticism with uh, Mr. Abbasi. Um, a lot. Of, he he had that to say about a lot of the bands because, believe it or not, you know most of these bands really had nothing fresh to bring to the table. And uh, well, I I guess we'll just keep getting into it, man. Which I, I mean, you should be a pro for Sumerian Records, but what do I know? <laughs> well, I mean, we all remember Design the Skyline, right? Oh, uh, that's true. That was Victory Records. Oh. No way. Did all the Victory Records bands get absorbed by Sumerian after that shit fell out? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, the, was, next, there, the next there was band a lot is... There really bad stuff on Sumerian. I, I just think I got it wrong. But I know there's a chirpy, like, auto-tune metalcore band that, that I mean, came out on Sumerian. It was a, it was a thing. <laughs> I'll have Pop, to do the research. Poppy is on Sumerian right now, so... Well, there you go. Okay. The next band is probably, I would say, the odds-on favorite for... Most of us and anyone listening to the show, the native hell from, I believe, Kentucky. Yeah, I was uh, fully prepared to hate these guys, uh, and they won me over. Uh, they sounded really good. <laughs> they call their style grass thrash. It's bluegrass and thrash kind of mushed together, complete with a banjo and no shoes on stage for the main guy, which, ew, don't do that. Um, yeah, just kind of like wild-eyed, crazy, picking and grinning, and then some some heavy metal stuff into it yeah they're um, yeah they're from oh, i'm sorry they're was, from michigan they're not from kentucky my bad yeah their front man was uh plays like an acoustic guitar but he was really fucking he was shredding to a pretty good degree i would say there was a good quality of shredding going on um i mean i liked i, I liked the native howl i thought that they were pretty good um but at the same time i couldn't help but get away from the fact that this is really just like bluegrass being played by dudes in tattoos and yes that is that's correct. cool <laughs> but you know i just being like this is grass thrash uh i don't know i don't know if i got it i mean it's different it's different than traditional bluegrass for sure because it's much more aggressive but it's not that far of a stretch um yeah. i don't know i, I think in, if you're going to do something that has broad appeal for you know, the kind of person that would buy a ticket for Carolina Rebellion, you could not go wrong with this band. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of, I don't know if you guys remember them, there was a brief time in like the 2010s where I think they were called Bluegrass of the Soul or something like that, or Slaughter of the Bluegrass, where they would cover like Amon Amarth. Oh yeah, I remember those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like this, but this is original and actually talented. This sounds better, yeah. Way better. And yeah. like, tighter and more cohesive. 
And on a competition like this, they stand out. They have their own thing, and it works for them. Yeah, I think in terms of, uh, I think of term definitely in terms of the bands here. I would say that this is the this is the best group of the bunch, and they 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 come out right at the gate. First episode, there they are. We didn't get much time to think. We're like, yeah, these guys are, are probably it, but um, there's a lot more to cover. Yeah, well, I mean, the episode starts. The first band you see is Scarlet View, and you know, I was like, ah, oh, this uh, show is going to be fucking unbearable. <laughs> You were right. But. Uh, and then they immediately followed it up with what is clearly maybe the best band of this whole thing. So uh, I think that was a good choice. Okay. And the next band from Bakersfield, California, Art and the Resistance with the I song th- the, the Funk. I think I hated this band more than any <laughs> other band on this on this entire show. This was fucking terrible. Th- these guys were terrible. They were very bad. And I feel like I've seen a hundred guys like this. Uh, opening somewhere live like this is definitely the kind of band that paid to play wherever they ever played yeah uh there is a band pretty similar to this in your neighborhood i promise you that (laughs) it's Um, like somewhere between pop and funk and sort of soul and they have a guitar player but the weird thing is and they later explain this that they have heavier songs and they're like more of a metal band but this is what they decided to do i guess they tried to tailor themselves for this competition and it didn't work out um this uh, overall the impression i got from this band was oh my god this is fucking obnoxious these people are obnoxious yeah. this music is like ah oh, look at how fucking zany i am i can't stand this shit man <laughs> There's not an unmarried guy in this whole band. Like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's just like they got Weekend Warrior written all over them. Um, one of the lamest things out of all of this competition was the fact that I know, I know this fucking guy bought an Abasi Concepts guitar just to cater to Toast and Abasi for this oh. one moment in his fucking lame ass life. Yeah, and he didn't mention it. So no, didn't say a word. Thanks for your money, sucker. (laughs) (laughs) The next band from Brooklyn, New York with the song Knockin' is Night Spins. And the only notes I have for this band are, I want to fight everyone in this band. Um, Yeah, fair. These guys were obnoxious as well. Less obnoxious than Art and the Resistance, but still pretty fucking obnoxious. It's a specific type of person that's in this band. Yes. uh, Their front man is about 15 years older than he's pretending to be, uh, and it shows. (laughs) Do you you guys remember the Simpsons episode where they found out that that bullies are drawn by, like, weakling sweat? Yes. (laughs) This is how I felt watching this whole thing, is that, like, I know know in my heart and soul it's not good to be so hateful and, and, and nasty to people. But um, it, it's like Nelson when you get the sweat on the boxer. He's like, please don't hurt me when he just keeps punching. He can't help it. So, and this is just I have to punch down on every one of these fucking people. The, the song that the Night Spins perform here and uh, their front man is very clearly somebody who spent his life like in theater. <laughs> like he was a theater kid for sure. Now he's a theater yeah. adult. And the he song is. Poses- he poses in front of the mirror. Yes. Like doing all his rock star moves. And as he's introducing the song, he's just like, this is a song about like being cheated on and getting revenge. It's like, 
you're not going to, I don't buy it. You're a theater kid, but you don't sell, I'm going to kick your ass. It's just, you're going to say something wrong and get your ass kicked. That's how this goes. You're going to get a <laughs> hell of a slap. So, unbelievable. Um, not as obnoxious, again, as the prior band, but still pretty obnoxious. Yeah. And the final band, it isn't a band. It's just an acoustic Tony K playing the song The Hell of Compromise. So Tony K is the reason we're doing this show, folks. <laughs> when uh, Jordan and I were looking at this website initially before the show came on, we were like, who is this old guy? And it's like, oh, this is the guy that directed American History X. <laughs> really? Yes. I uh, missed that completely. So that's why we were like, what is this show? That's why we had to watch it. Uh, can you describe Tony Kay's performance? Uh, like homeless Bob Dylan? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. This is a very old man uh, who has covered the stage in uh, hacky uh, sayings uh, that he would consider his art. So hacky. Um and he's, he's delivering his poetry in front of three chords, you know. This is the kind of shit that made uh, made teenagers go absolutely fucking uh, wasted crazy shit in 1967 or something like that. But I got to say, I don't think it's don't think it has much of an impact nowadays. See, I, I totally miss the um, the the director bit. And maybe that was uh, due to my kind of skipping through because I did not really think this guy needed much of my time as far as a potential winner or anything um so i i just felt kind of bad because you know here's this this boomer with an acoustic who after years had finally made it onto stage and was going to make get his big break and that's how i felt watching tony kane so i was rooting for tony i i thought he needed the, i thought he needed the help judging by how he looked and how shitty his art was but all along man he was a. Uh, you know, world-renowned director, so I don't have to worry about Tony. I don't think he's struggling. I wouldn't worry about him too much. Um, you know, maybe he's lonely. He could use a call or something. But aside from that, I think he's I think he's okay. Uh, well, we're not his kids, so that's not our responsibility. Yeah, not my fucking problem. Uh, no, the, yeah. the the strangest thing about this one is that like Gavin Rosdale is like just fucking losing his mind over oh, Tony K. <laughs> Gavin loves Tony. I didn't just, get it. They, they they came from the same time, man. I mean, if, if Gavin let himself go and didn't dye his hair and didn't shave, he'd probably look just like the guy. Yeah, Gavin is older than you think he is. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's, he's probably a boomer, man. And, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was just boomer acoustic rock hours. But, uh, yeah, God bless Tony K. He didn't get far in the competition. Um, what, what do you think, Jordan? Of Tony K? Yeah. I thought it was fine. I think it helps that it's different from what else was on the show. And I would say there's maybe a little bit of earnestness in this older, formerly well-known person who's, I don't know, giving it one last shot. I wouldn't necessarily want to hear it all that much, but I think, like I said, it's it's different from what else we saw, so it helped it stand out a little bit. And after all the bands play... And they have brief interviews with Matt Pinfield after their sets where he asks them, like, one question. Um, and it's usually not particularly interesting questions, although, again, we will get into one or two where it's just like, whoa, easy there, Matt. Um, they vote, and the winner is, unsurprisingly, the native Hal. Yep. Yeah. Um, after they decide that, though, the, the losers 
they get an opportunity to go in front of a panel of the the biggest dickheads in music. The Mercy Council. Yeah. Oh, God. And I assume is a hotel right next door to the Troubadour where this was all taking place. Yes. And on this episode, we get Dave Rath, who's an A&R person for Roadrunner Records. We get Carmen Vandenberg, who is in the band Bones UK, which I didn't know was a group. I just thought they were a name that appears on festival flyers. <laughs> um, I, I guess they are of some sort of success and do well. And I believe they're on Sumerian Records. So um, there's that other connection. And Blasco. Do you guys remember Blasco? Fuck yeah, I remember Blasco. He was in every fucking guitar magazine for 10 years. He was in Rob Zombie's band. He was in Ozzy Osbourne's band. And I learned this while watching your show. He was in Cryptic Slaughter in the 80s. I had no idea. Which I didn't know about. No fucking And I did learn on this show that he is like the chief marketing officer for Liquid Death. Get you piece of, you fucking piece of shit, Blasco. A fucking fat wall against (laughs) Blasco forever. And uh, he is also, I know just, I just know this off the top of my head, he is, was, or maybe still is the manager for In This Moment, and uh, oh. helped them break out after discovering them on MySpace. Boy, thanks, so Blasco. Credit Thank to him. So much. Credit to him. He's been able to find success in the music business from, like, just being a guy in the background with a couple of these bands. Um I do question his fashion choices. <laughs> a bit, um, yeah. Yeah, it's the weird kind of comeback, poofy pompadour, the gross beard, uh, a suit and watch that's way too expensive for him, and like Converse sneakers. Yeah, so he is that type of LA guy. He is he still has, paying off that watch. Yep. He has he has found his success uh, somehow, and they have this mercy council where they basically just harangue all the losers, telling them what they need to do, what they did wrong, how their songs are boring, how they need better fashion sense, they need a gimmick, they need something. And eventually they give a pass to Tony K. so he gets to move on the next round. Such an odd choice. I, I think that he, they gave him a, cha- uh, a chance on the condition that he's supposed to work with another artist. That's the way that some of these work, where some people get a chance to go through again, and some people are like, you yourself will not go through, but you will get to work with somebody else, and he will pair you. I think that's what he got. Hmm. Um, there's a few of those like that, anyway. Yeah, I got uh, I got kind of confused over the point of the Mercy Council. Yeah, so uh, that they could stretch this thing out even longer. That yeah, is correct. It's just- Yes, totally unnecessary. I, th- I think what um, they were they were saying to Tony K and spe- specifically, uh, they, they you know kind of walk around it a little bit, but they're like, "You're old as fuck, uh, and this is mostly a young person's game. How would you feel about writing music for young people?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I guess I could be into that." <laughs> I mean, he's used to directing, so yeah, telling people what yeah. to do and not actually doing it may not be the worst idea. Why not, man? You had yeah. your time. I I, I, there is, I think that being a songwriter it, when you're that age would be a wonderful choice if you can get into it. Most people cannot get into it at all. So um, let's uh, let's move on to the next episode. I have to pee. You guys keep talking. Episode two, it's again, we still get the same intros telling us who 
all the judges are, what the competition is, who the hosts are. So moving on to that, the first band that we have on is called Slaves to Humanity yeah. from Orange County, California, which slowly becomes a theme as the show goes on because there's multiple Orange County bands and there's multiple California bands, which I think is a little short-sighted, maybe a little unfair, since there's an entire other country of bands that you could have picked from, but I don't know, maybe they just flyered around Orange County and filled out the rest when they didn't get enough bands. Yeah. Um, they I had think, the song. Uh, I think it's a geography thing. I think this is just where the competition was. Competition was taking place was in California. So yeah, it was, it was at the Troubadour. The area. Yeah. It was at the Troubadour in LA. And this was also, I mean, it was shot and going on. We're still in it, a pandemic. So I'm sure. Not too many people were into flying across the country or in some yep. cases, as we hear, some people drive from like the middle of nowhere all the way to L.A. for this. They should have you should have had your band on here. You guys would have won. But uh, if they do a season two, I'll consider submitting ourselves just to see the disappointed and shocked faces <laughs> on, of everyone judging us. Just going like, I, I don't know how to had to criticize you. I don't know. What I, th- I, just I think saw. you'll be disappointed and shocked to find that I'm the judge on season two. Just your arms folded, looking angrily. Yeah. Yep. So, Sleeps of Humanity had a song, Battleground. Yeah. Um, it was radio rock. It was bad. The, were, I guess the, the singer can sing. I'll give him that. Um, um, young guys. Kinda, yeah, very young. Very young, right? They, I, wasn't the singer like 16 or something? Was that this band? I think they're like 18 to 20. They're, yeah, really young guys. Um and they just you can tell because they have that like dumb, vacant senior in high school look in their face. They do. They do have a high school. They're fresh faced, baby faced. And yeah. coming from like knowing what this competition is kind of looking for, they're they're not just looking for the most talented band. They're not looking for even maybe like the most ready band. I think they're looking at it from the sense of we can do something with this band and with a band like Slaves to Humanity. They're young enough. They're good looking enough I, to like be able to be molded by these vultures yeah, that are going to control their lives. Absolutely. I agree. Um, they're like, okay, they're young. They play radio friendly rock music. We can dress them up how we want. We can tell them what kind of haircuts to do. Yeah. And we can have them like write a jingle for Apple's new iPod. Yeah. Teenage girls will want to fuck these guys. And that's. That's the that's the that's the money ticket. That's the gravy ticket right there, man. So, uh, but I don't know. I don't think they did very well. I think their performance was kind of shitty. Like they just, like I I know that he was singing well, but it seemed like they had like problems starting off, and maybe the show just over edited it to make it look like more dramatic than it was. That's possible. Uh, yeah. It's not as bad as other shows that do that, but there was a little bit of. Uh perhaps selective editing or, or focusing at least because they do edit this just to focus on little squeaks in the microphone and things like that. Yeah. Um, it, I guess inoffensive is the best way I could put it. It was fine. Your local battle of the bands has at least one band that probably sounds like them. I would say that I, I think I was going to make the local battle of the bands comment about just about this entire thing. And uh, I think slaves you Manny fit in that. Well, who's uh who is next on episode? Two? I heard you say, um, Local battle bands. I thought slaves to humanity. So I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that we're on the same page here. You miss nothing, sir. Perfect. The next artist we have is Jenny March from oh. Cincinnati, Ohio. 
doing the song Scream, and the best way to describe this is pop disco. Yeah, just like a, she was like a rangeless, high-pitched, generic. I I don't have anything to say, really. This, this nice. is, uh, I like to do uh, workout videos on YouTube, and this is the kind of completely generic pop music that goes into the background of it. <laughs> Like the yeah. royalty-free yes. YouTube music in a can. Yes. <laughs> a pretty lady with some guy standing behind her doing little things on his laptop to make the the bleeps and bloops. Yep. And if this was, like, just a pop competition, then I could see her having, like, more appeal and more of a chance. But it's kind of hard when you have, like, one pop person and you have radio rock and banjo metal and things like that for her to like really stand out yep yeah i i i mean i feel like there were some quote-unquote soul artists that probably did the job better than her but a lot of the soul artists we're going to get to they're just people who had an entire band but for some reason they were like named after the one person um <laughs> yeah that's in an episode coming up yep. <laughs> we'll yeah yeah that. we'll talk about that but uh Okay, after so Jenny March, I mean, I think um, I think that one girl that we don't like as a judge liked it. Bishop Briggs, I'm sorry, I have it written down. I need to have written it down. It's just it's so hard for like something what she does. Like you have to be an amazing talent, like an incredible singer or songwriter, or juggle chain flaming chainsaws to like really separate yourself. From... You gotta have charisma coming out the fucking wazoo. To be like and some people on the show star. do. Some people connect and they, they talk about that. Like, you need to sing to me. You like don't shut your eyes or don't stand in one place. And you know, she had a little bit of that, but it's just kind of what do you do to separate yourselves mm-hmm. to not just be another person essentially doing karaoke? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Totally forgettable. I think we should be the judges and they should edit like the spooky noises on the things we say. <laughs> Just a vlom every time you you criticize someone. Those leather like, pants I, are stupid. Wow, your like, shit I'll be the sucks. Nice one. <laughs> like you, you tried so hard, and that's so important. Uh, the next person we have is the last knife fighter, a uh, solo country singer songwriter from Boyd, Texas, with the song "Younger by the Rye." Yeah, I like the last knife fighter. It's very modern barbershop bacon mustache uh ipa kind of stuff i think that's why i disliked him <laughs> like it's very modern like stuff that's bad epic bacon country bad. music kind of guy yeah like yeah. the impression i got from him is like oh you're you're a you know a liar that hangs out in bars all day like that's not particularly unique but all of the judges oh. seem to think otherwise <laughs> you're a california guy that moved to austin got it yes yes correct <laughs> I think what helped him uh, is his voice was somewhat different from what else we were hearing, a little bit raspier, yes, a little bit more unique, so that kind of helped separate him. And um, I don't know, I got the sense he could possibly stab me at a bar. So that was, again, different, had a look, had a sound, so appealing to what this show wants to do, that made sense to me. Yeah, I just I think um, the biggest issue with the last Night Fighter is that it just it goes in with the ongoing theme of the rest of the show that every single act or person that was involved in this competition, there's a trillion things just like it and a lot better. Um, 
and I mean, this is it was an excellent example. And to 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 paint a picture for anybody who's listening who didn't see the show, um, large brimmed hat, dark sunglasses, oversized oversized beard and mustache, and like a corduroy suit. There is probably, probably some hand tats. If you live in a gentrified neighborhood, there is a guy exactly like this one to one comparison busking in your neighborhood right now. Yeah, he's yeah. in he's in the dive bar, man. You go watch him right now for free. Yep, I did like his suitcase with his name on it. I thought that was <laughs> the judges did too. <laughs> it was a nice little touch, I suppose. Yeah. It and again, it helped separate him from everyone else. Here's here's my little gimmick bag that probably has a blood covered rusty Bowie knife in it. Yeah. Um, the next band was Dark Station, again from Orange County, with the song Villain. Now, I am interested to hear what you guys have to say about Dark Station, because I, I get the sense that we all feel exactly the same way about this band. I saw Tosin Abasi's eyes roll into the back of his head during this performance. That I felt. made me very happy uh, watching his face and then hearing his comments afterwards. I was like, yes, thank you for, for doing this. Thank you for your service, soldier. <laughs> Before he was in Animals as Leaders, he was in the band Reflux, wasn't he? Is yeah. that his band? Was he? Uh, I don't remember. Reflux. Someone who's listening is screaming at us. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I've known him so well for Animals as Leaders, and I know he was previously on some kind of metalcore band, but I don't know which one. Was it anything like this one? It wasn't like this one because it was – I mean he still had all of his talent, obviously. Um and maybe slightly more metalcore-ish than you know what he does now, but uh, they were on at least Reflux was on uh, Prosthetic Records, I think, for a while. Hmm. Let me see. Yeah, I think Prosthetic is. Um, Here's the is, connection. Right. Thank you, Wikipedia. Reflux was founded in March 2002 by a singer Ash Avildsen. And guitarist Tosin Abasi. Okay, There's I no. have no idea that they were in a band together. Yeah, I will I never no question either. you again. Yeah. I'll never, you know your stuff. Um, Dark they Station. were on prosthetic. They were on prosthetic records around in the early 2000s when a lot of metalcore was coming up. So I'm sure they played with a lot of these bands. Yeah, Tosin called it right out. He's the words MySpace came right out of his mouth. MySpace right. new metal is what he yeah. said. Uh, I would have said Warp Tour core, but. Yeah, um, MySpace is the correct name for them, complete with the swoopy haircut for the See, vocalist. The thing no is, like, band. they look like MySpace. They sounded like corn with a learning disability. Oh, they're fucking terrible. It, they sounded just like corn with a learning disability. Which corn already has a learning disability. So corn like, <laughs> already sounds like corn with a learning disability. Well, those late 90s bands are the ones that are influencing younger bands now. I think five more years, you'll start to hear people talk more about being influenced by, uh, I don't know who came out in 2003. I I just remember there was a very specific, like, corn-like breakdown, and they cut to the judges, and there's a bossy at the end of the table, and any trace of just joy or a smile was just drained from his eyes and face. This guy was so over this band every second they played. Um, and so, you could tell he really couldn't say what he wanted to say, you know? Yeah, or they that, edited it out. That's right. true, yeah. Spoiler alert, Dark Station did not move on to the next round. I did enjoy Matt Penfield's in for interview with them afterwards where their wiener front man is like, I don't even care, dude. We're, we're fucking, we're on a mission. We're bringing rock back. 
<laughs> People are going to know us. It was very Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. Yes. Where all Thank these you. teased up, glammed out people are like, well, I'm going to make it. What if you don't? But I'm going to make it. Same thing. Yes. Um, it's like when uh, it's like if you watch the Food Network, uh, you got the show Chopped, and when uh, certain chefs lose, they're always like, but uh, keep an eye out for me. I'll be back. You know, and we're always like, yeah, right. But then we find out that Food Network keeps people on the back burner to put them on like Beat Bobby Flay or Iron Chef or something. So um, they usually do come back. Uh, <laughs> Dark Station, I can say with complete confidence, we will not be seeing any more from ever again. No, the only uh, way you'll hear from these guys again is if one of them commits some kind of horrific crime. <laughs> that's yeah. That's about it. Sorry, guys. I, I do. I'm sorry. I keep making the Food Network comparisons. I'm just saying that the editing and the way the show was put together was extremely Food Network competition. Uh, well, like so, guys' grocery games. Okay. I think that th- th- that that's a trope with reality TV now. So of course, like whoever's handling this probably worked. Like the, the guys filming and editing probably worked on guys' grocery games as well. <laughs> Which is a way better show. Watch that one. Yeah. <laughs> The winner of episode two is Slaves to Humanity, which I guess compared to your competition, yeah, <laughs> I can't really disagree with that all that much. Um, there, there, are definitely, a- there are definitely some episodes where it's clear that the, the judges are like, nobody really deserves to carry through on this one, but I guess fine. <laughs> Yeah, Slaves to Humanity is definitely like the softball addition to the semifinals in the show. Yeah, you're He's there to like get knocked a- out. Yeah, for sure. You're moving on because somebody had to. Oh, and the judges make their decisions. They write the band's name on a on a napkin, like literally. I with like a marker that. and a napkin. I, I thought that was a nice it's, touch. It's how you save money. Yeah, yeah. Is that referential to 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 some mi stuff? I don't quite get as an outsider. Uh, mi. Uh, like music industry. Oh, the biz. Sorry, the biz. Brother. <laughs> like if you a metal it, injection it, reference. It's yeah. Is that like something where if I'm like a label guy and I'm watching you guys perform and and I think you're gonna make it, do I write it down on a napkin and it, uh, it's a reference to writing a contract on a napkin, seeing a band in a bar and you want to sign them right there, so you oh, sign them on the back of a yeah, napkin. There you go. That's why I ask. Jordan's and, got the answer. And for the Mercy Council, we have Blasco, Carmen, and Ash making his first appearance. Ash uh, is probably the most loathsome presence on this entire show. Uh, he is, of course, the founder and CEO of uh, Sumerian Records and a huge wiener. Like, he gives me awful, malignant wiener vibes. It's knowing where he started out now, like with the band Reflux, and then having Sumerian records and seeing like where he's gone, like he's done a movie, seeing all these bands that have started to become Sumerian bands, whether it's Poppy or I think Paleo Royale is another one, how much he wants to get away from metal and the heavy stuff. He may still like it. He may still like sign a couple of those bands, but like wanting to be more and like wanting to expand what he does and expand his brand. And that's, I get that a lot with some of his criticisms and like what, what he wants to do. Like he wants to be the rock CEO head of like Warner Brothers Media. Yeah, yeah. He 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 is ashamed of his past. <laughs> he wants to be Blasco. Yes. Don't we all? So they do the Mercy Council, and 
with the old switcheroo and poor Dark Station, they don't get nothing. They want Jenny and the last knife fighter to move on and collaborate. Which yeah. I don't know. I guess that's good TV. I'm I'll be honest with you, I'm kinda curious uh to see that episode. I would like to hear what they come up with. Like the overt uh pop uh artists with the guy that does, you know, like I'm I'm a tough, mean bastard country music. I, I kinda wanna hear what that yeah. sounds like. The, the guy who does men's soap commercials. Yes, the the Duke yeah. canon of country artists. <laughs> yeah. It has potential. I mean, it's in, it'll be interesting to see what they're actually able to pull off and to see, like, where their talents really lie, whether it's in songwriting or if, like, Jenny March can have range and sing something beyond just, ooh, baby, let's go dancing tonight. Yeah, because there is a possibility that what they come up with is completely unlistenable, and I, I would like to hear that as well. I, I'm curious. I'm curious. Maybe with their combined talents, they can uh, do like the next opening theme for like a Showtime drama or something. That's That seems like the most accurate scenario, yes. <laughs> All right, so, we, need to, we need to hustle it up here. We've been, we've been lollygagging a little bit. All right, episode three. We have Slay Squad from Inland Empire, California, with the song Mongo. They are hip-hop deathcore. Yeah. I've been waiting a while to get to this one. <laughs> well, take it away. T- take it away with Slay Squad. My, my favorite comment of the whole series, my favorite comment was to- after they, they, they performed, the band was all right. It was very hip-hop meets deathcore. It was all right. But uh, Tosin Abasi just calls it straight up. He's like, Quote for quote, you haven't been playing bass that long, huh? The Their bass player guy. had never played a show before, uh, had been learning for like the past three weeks, I think. Yeah, he they they literally had to come clean and say, yeah, this is just our friend. We went and had him buy a bass just to be here. Which is a good move. <laughs> good yeah. For them. And yeah. to admit it. Right. Um, um, I, I think this is interesting. Again, this is one of the things with the competition where there's nothing else really like this, so it helps set them apart. I could see this like on a Warp Tour side stage or Sounds of the Underground if that was still around. Like one of those things where you're kind of tired of hearing the same thing and you're walking to go get a drink and it's by these guys playing the Ernie Ball stage and you, they kind of like pick your ears up a little bit just because it's different and it's something you haven't seen yet. Yeah. Um, for for anyone listening, all uh, Slay Squad was uh, uh, like an had all black members. Um, very odd choice of stage garb. Like one guy had like a knit cap that had little cotton horns on it. And uh, I remember another great quote from the judges was Alice Cooper telling them, "Hey guys, there, there's comedy here. Leave the comedy in there." I don't know if it's supposed to be there, but but just leave it in, okay? Yeah. Alice Cooper yeah. was being super weird about this band. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I couldn't tell if there was just some a uh, little bit of just like boomer racism in that comment. That was, like, wh- hey, that was wow. what I got out of it. Yeah. It's either that or, again, something was edited out, so it's just completely Ooh. out of context. I'm going to lean towards Alice Cooper is a born-again Christian Republican that plays golf in Arizona. <laughs> Yeah, yep. like he's just like, look at all you black guys thinking you can rock. Isn't that funny? I wouldn't go that far. I would. I, I would say that there is something not so wholesome about his comments. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you essentially tell the guys, you guys look like clowns, you know? Yeah. Um, I had to cringe, man. I just had to stop and cringe at that one. Um, 
I did not care for the Slay Squad, and I think we can go no. ahead because we need to hurry it up a little bit. They did win this round. Yeah. Which shocked Next. the shit out of me. Next, we had Tilly from Atlanta, Georgia, the song Lose My Mind. Uh, Dream Pop is how I compared it and reminded me of Nelly Furtado. Um, she literally just like sang a thing that happened to her. Like the yes. lyrics were so literal and ridiculous. I, I, very 90s to me. I hated, yeah. like, I, I will say Tilly, very talented. Uh, but at the same time, like when you open your th- lyrics with like, last summer I was on tour with my abusive ex-boyfriend. And it's like, okay, uh, <laughs> Can we try metaphor? <laughs> can we? <laughs> yeah. Can we try any kind of literary movement here, other than like uh, what is exactly happening? I, I don't yeah. like this. I'm old. I get it. That's what the Gen Zers are into. The Zimmers love saying exactly what happened without any kind of artistry. That's fine. Well, it's very, uh, it's very like early outs emo, right? Where it's like last summer, 1998 in Oklahoma. I left my bitch ex-girlfriend. <laughs> right on Mayfield Street, 79. I hate this town. <laughs> 1998 Subaru Impreza. <laughs> yeah. Um, very on the nose uh, and very bad music. So. I, I was uh, surprised Bishop that- Briggs was maintaining her deer in headlights thing, though. She was bobbing along. She liked it. I, I was surprised that Tilly did not win this round, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we have Loveless, which is just a solo guy from L.A. with the song Smile. Yeah. I hated it. <laughs> that that thing that Joe and I were just doing, that was him. Um, Fair. Everybody, including Tosin Abasi, uh, was actually very impressed with him, though. Tosin was like, your voice is actually incredible. I don't think that you yeah. need this competition. Yeah. Very, and great singer. Don't get me wrong, but it was a lot of... Uh, you know, 1997 Toyota Camry. Your hair was blue. Your name is Jessica. Basically, uh, a, a more talented dashboard confessional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that works. And the final band in quotes on this is the band group whatever Warrack from Warwick, Rhode Island, which is right where I live. <laughs> I never would have guessed. Looking at these guys, I never would have guessed. Um, if I had to guess, they're probably from West Warwick, which makes a lot more sense. As someone once described West Warwick to me, the doggy-style capital of Rhode Island. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Warwick, uh, they had to forfeit their position, and they could not perform on this show. Why um, not? Why not, Jordan? You, you, told, you, you had an article that said why. The show didn't say why, but you know why. Yeah, the show was real coy about it to the point where like I thought they were making it up and they were like just trying to help this rap group's image or something like that. But there is actually a reason, a real reason, and this article going back to 2021 has the headline Police accuse members of amateur Warwick rap group of inciting Providence Place looting. Okay. And Providence Place is a big mall in Providence. Um, the looting in the early morning of June 2nd was one facet of the overnight riots that began with a group chanting Black Lives Matter in the street outside the mall shortly before midnight. The crowd quickly turned to throwing rocks, looting businesses, and setting vehicles on fire. One person who did that actually just got three years in jail for that, by the way. Ooh, wow. Uh, 65 people uh, were arrested on the scene, with more expected in the days and weeks among them, Joshua Martinson, 21, and William Palazzo, 23, whom police accuse of egging on the crowd to storm the mall. 
The two workmen are members of a group called Warack, which posts rap videos online that appear to be recorded in suburban backyards and basements. <laughs> <laughs> which couldn't describe them better. The um, video depicts Palazzo and Martin said loudly instructing and encouraging protesters to commit violent and lawless acts. They then lead the crowd, storming off in the direction of the front doors of the mall where protesters gain entrance by force and begin destroying property and looting. When my experience with uh, somebody being like, hey, everybody, let's quit protesting. Let's instead go a few miles up the road and steal from Target uh, is that those people are in some way involved with law enforcement. So I have to wonder if Warhack is also involved in law enforcement in some way. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a great group, not great music. Um, very, very poor. Uh, it's like when, when, when people talk about sucker MCs, these guys are it. Um, so they forfeited their position of the show and I hope they forfeit any future attempts to continue with music. So, uh, slay squad, slay squad wins and Tilly gets mercy council. Uh, Did she get mercy right, council? On. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what were we up to? Four? Episode Five? four. Yeah. The- First band is Beachwood Coyotes from L.A. Shit sucks. That was very bad. Yeah. My my notes were too much Elvis Costello and Oingo Boingo. Um, again, Tosin Abasi nailed it with these guys. <laughs> yeah. He's like, the, what you're going for isn't so original as it is 2008 Pitchfork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I got very like 2007, 2008 Coachella Pitchfork from these guys. There's really nothing going on here that we haven't seen already. Yeah, if you guys remember uh, Future Islands, who had a, a big bit of morality with uh, playing on Letterman, where their, their front man was just like going unhinged with their indie pop or whatever. It's just them trying to do that, but not nearly as talented. Yeah. Again, like I said before, everything here is just something you've seen before, but not as good. Yes. Next up, we have uh, Ada Pasternak from Orange County, California. The song Grow Older. This uh, was dis- – uh, we, ha- we had not had a quota of twee shit yet, so we had to fill in that niche with uh, with her. It's just singing and playing the violin like a guitar. Like a, oh, that was fucking, fucking like terrible. a ukulele, dude. Like yeah. this is this is straight like fucking Bob's Burgers core. <laughs> yeah, and she could play violin. They showed her playing it. It's just that's not what she did for this song. I described it as dainty Pier One imports music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have Saint Monroe from uh, Oklahoma. I don't. Um, I don't this, remember Saint Monroe. With the so, song Out for Blood. This is the band that sounds like like they're clearly influenced by Metallica and they have Colonel Sanders on their drums. Yeah, they had like the orange hair, like Haley from Paramore uh, lady at the front there. And then they had like they were they were a younger crew, but they had like this white haired drummer um, that clearly was like the bassist uncle or something like definitely the guy driving the van. You know uh, what I mean? Gotcha. And the last band we had was Mirror Lake from Houston, Texas, with the song Somber. Uh, hard rock, I guess. Um, yeah, they loved they were, this band. They were uh, like, I got Deftones vibes from Mirror Lake. Yeah, like, kind of. I could see that. Uh, not Definitely not my thing. I will say I did appreciate like just how jarring uh, their dynamics were, like going from quiet to loud. Uh, a lot of bands uh, do that. This one was much louder. <laughs> my my criticism was they need a stylist. Y- yeah, yeah. That, Especially for a competition like this, like they needed a look or some cohesiveness, uh, and they they looked a little bit like they rolled out of bed. Yeah, yeah, honey, that wig. 
yikes it was it was mm. it was rough it was rough the style but, was rough but mirror lake was the winner um which yeah fair enough compared to everyone else yeah that works uh and they had a mercy council again and uh, ada pasternak got the mercy council so she moves on as well good another softball edition yeah i can't wait to hear more twee uh pop in the future i think that'll be a very pleasant not at all grating yeah episode five first band is christopher doe which is a bit of a misnomer because there's a band there's a whole, whole band, band and they're just using this guy's name and they get into it a little bit especially on the mercy council from indio california with the song control um this song this song was dog shit dude yeah I, do you guys remember I, you guys I think remember I described the, it as um, asshole pop disco. Yeah. Yeah. Was this the one with the uh, that, does, that guitarist that was soloing yes. with just his fingers? Yes. Yeah. With, it, he he wasn't the, wearing a shirt. He had the suit jacket on. Yeah. yeah. Justin Abbasi stared a hole through his face. It was like <laughs> he hated it so much. He, the, the vocalist is capable of operatic vocals. And in most cases where somebody is capable of it, they do it regardless of whether or not it's necessary. That's um, a great point. It, this was a nonsense song, just seven different styles mashed up poorly together. Sounds like a sack of assholes, to be fair with you know. I I, I did not damn dig on it at all. This yeah. is this felt like something that you would see one guy with a keyboard doing on like the boardwalk <laughs> or the promenade or wherever like rich people go out to have their expensive dinners on a Saturday night, oh, and yeah. this guy's just playing for quarters. I think it's an excellent. Um, sort of dichotomy you'll see in a lot of bands that you have local to you where you got these guys that it, it's like the talent is wasted on the tasteless you know yes these guys who are who are so capable on their instruments being so bad at music uh you you can do things uh that a lot of people cannot do with music the thing that you cannot do is make something listenable yeah exactly the next band is from san diego saint luna um Indie alt rock. Saint were uh, were those the guys that sounded like uh, God? They had a, a guitar line that I thought sounded like The Cure or something. I thought the guitar line was pretty good. I think yeah, they reminded only- me a lot of like '90s alt rock bands. Yeah, this was another group of very young kids. Yeah, and um, yeah, these were the guys that noted influences like Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Beatles, and you're like, oh boy. <laughs> um, so you have no influences at all. They're, they're, um, I'll say this: their guitar player was very tasteful. So that those lead lines on that song are very good. Everything else is pretty pretty bland. Yeah, yeah. Something you've heard a million times before, but not as good is. And Tosin was like, "Yeah, man, you guys have a great tone, like the P nineties thing. That's great." Um, but I don't know. It just doesn't really. They didn't really have any fashion sense. They didn't really have any idea what yeah, they, they were doing. So. They did dress like. Uh, you know, they raided the Burlington Coat Factory. <laughs> I think, I don't remember who said it, but it was Hale or Cooper or who, but someone was like, you know, you guys just look like a bunch of teens that showed up at the mall, you know. <laughs> that was their commentary on them, so. The next band, Penny Fountain from Palmetto, Florida. The oh, song Crash Landing. Fucking hated they, this band. They said they were inspired by Blink-182, which made my body kind of tense up, but I thought they sounded more like 80s like rock at the time really mid 80s oh 
I don't. I, I definitely got the Blink One Eighty Two vibes from them. Um, I think looks wise, yes, but I don't know. No, I, the, I the sound thought... like because I don't know. I I, th- I thought it Here's sounded where... like late era Blink One Eighty Two to me. Here's where I can bridge the gap for you guys. Um, this was a band that tried to sound like Blink One Eighty Two, tried to sound like pop punk, but they weren't weren't really capable enough to do that well. So they kind of just fell back into these really classic old rock tropes in putting music together. And that's probably where you're getting that 80s vibe. Is, uh, but, but also they're like 15. Yeah. Like, these yeah, guys are young, like but I, young. I, I didn't get the whine of like Blink-182 that I was expecting, I guess, or like the bopping up and down that we expect from pop punk. So that's yeah, kind I of think like that's why, I, why think I didn't get fair. it. And, and Gavin Rosdale was like pointing out like for the voice, like you have a mystery about you. There's a darkness because he was just kind of like looking down and had his hair in his face and – wasn't uh, you know the bright orange county sound that i was <laughs> expecting with the introduction yeah this is a very gavin rosdale way to be is this where gavin rosdale and uh bridget got into their little altercation when does that come in that was saint luna that was saint luna right between gavin and bishop where they were like going back and forth like yes no yes no oh i remember what it was yeah she, she he was trying to make a point where he was like okay yeah you guys are into pretty girls that's great but there's absolutely no depth to that and then like bridget comes in like well that's their truth they're young they're only like 19 that's what matters to guys this age and he's like well bill Eilish is like 16 and has way more depth than this <laughs> yeah they're, they're completely different things gavin <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, trying to hear these guys discuss lyrics like it fucking matters is one oh, of the yeah. strangest things to me like this is disposable music. Like nobody is speaking their truth. They're trying to sell you uh, a ticket. Like that's it. Absolutely. And the final band again was just one person, I think. Uh, Nathan James from Louisville, Colorado, with the song "Contain Myself." And oh, oh uh, I wrote. Oh yeah, this was. This wasn't just one person. This was, as I described it, it looks like a hot top, hot topic threw up on the nineties. Nathan James. I've never seen like okay, so this is the guy who photographed uh, Machine Gun Kelly for his his pop punk album. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the chicken before the egg thing, man. But one of these guys is ripping the other off fucking hard. I my note for this one is I have never seen a thirty five year old man so thirsty for Machine Gun Kelly's sloppy seconds. Like it is, <laughs> it is gross. <laughs> um. It's like I, I have seen 36, 37, 38-year-old men that are just like this who were so thirsty for 14, 15-year-old girls. And so that therefore, I clocked Nathan James from a fucking mile, man. Yeah. This guy's unless, an abuser. Unless things change, I would say this is the worst band on the show. Worst. Absolute worst. Um, and you can just tell when it's a guy who's like 37 dressing like a sophomore in high school. There's just like a sunkenness to the eyes and just a dip to the gut that shouldn't be there for a guy who dresses like this, you yeah. know? My my Chris Hansen alarm goes off, man. Like <laughs> I I don't wanna I don't wanna accuse this guy of doing something he didn't do, but you look like you did you look like you did something. <laughs> yeah. I'm just that's the thing, is like, hey man, you look like a pedophile. That's yeah. that's something that you should adjust accordingly if you hear if, if i were on the celebrity uh, judges panel i would note that your look it looks like you're telling the world i'm a pedophile and i would probably change that unless that's yeah. what that's what you're going for so uh for anybody listening i'm gonna paint the picture of nathan james uh pink curly big hair 
um, a cutoff plaid vest and zipper pants covered in tattoos, black nail polish, and uh, just like hot topic bracelets. That's this guy, 37, 36, 38, something like that. So the- according according to Google, although who knows because Nathan James is hardening to Google, thirty four years old. That clocks. That checks out. Yeah. That clocks. Yeah. And like I said, maybe Machine Gun Kelly uh, deferred to this guy to get his new look because Machine Gun Kelly wasn't always a, you know, pop punk guy. And maybe Nathan James was the one who was the progenitor of that. Maybe he got Machine Gun Kelly onto it, but somebody is ripping somebody off. Here. And regardless, neither of you should be proud of this. Yeah, n- neither of you should look like this at all. Um, sorry, go ahead, Jordan. So Penny Fountain is the winner. They have the Mercy Council with Ash, David, and Carmen. And the Mercy Council goes to Christopher Dew, but with the caveat of, like, are you going to get rid of all of these guys behind you and just do your solo thing? And one of the weird things is during this Mercy Council, there's, like, Tony Iommi old guy just, like, standing next to them. And I don't know if this guy is actually in the band or he drove them to this. It was such Someone's an odd dead. thing to say, like, Christopher, uh, do you want to dump this dead weight and continue on with the, the competition? He's like, absolutely. <laughs> uh, also, like, the the Mercy Council were kind of going out of their way to suck Nathan James' dick. Like, I did not care for that at all. They were they were clearly thirsty for getting something set up behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah they because they they said something along the lines of like, "Do you want to play in front of forty thousand people?" Machine Gun Kelly calls you up. Can we get his number? Yeah, uh, do yeah, you want to go? Yeah, play with yeah, that? yeah, that's what it is. You nailed it. Yeah, uh, you got you got a better business sense than these fools. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing but a fucking power play. A guy like Nathan James has no business being anywhere in music. Complete fucking hack. It's all about who you know. That's the reason he's here. Yeah. It, it felt it felt like um, David Duchovny having his indie rock band and, and like getting to play shows with people at it. It's because you're David Duchovny. It's not because you're a good singer. Yeah, that's why Tony K showed up. Yes, you're famous. That's, that's why these guys are here. Yeah. You're you're if you're not famous yourself, you are adjacent enough to famous people that we can try to leverage something here. We need that Tony J juice to get our our show going. Yeah. If anything, they should have Tony Todd on. I, I, cool. I agree wholeheartedly. He just gets on stage and opens up his big furry coat and bees attack everyone. <laughs> and we're at the final episode, at least of this show. We're going to continue on with the next one. Episode six, first band, Kodiak from Tom's River, New Jersey, with the song Goodbye. This is something I hate so much where it's just full on aping a style or a genre to the point where it, you're not even being inspired by it. You are just cosplaying yeah. because they're dressed just like Van Halen. It's yeah. so they're playing a Van Halen song that has no hooks. <laughs> right. And they tell them that. Yeah. Um, just, yeah there's nothing going on here. My, my um, favorite celebrity and- judge comment through this entire thing is, uh, they're talking to the vocalist of Kodiak and saying, uh, you look like you're, you're there standing in for whoever the real front man is. <laughs> yeah. And Gavin said the direct quote was, your lyrics are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's the thing when I hear 80s style rock uh, coming through anything. If it comes from, I don't know, if I'm doing a random playlist or it comes on the radio and I don't quite know what it is, I need the context. Did this come out in 1986 or 88? Because if it didn't, it fucking sucks. It's always going to suck. 
If the, it came out during the time that's appropriate, I can dig it. But like, if you're doing this decades pastiche thing, like years later, you're giving me fucking irritable bowel. I hate it so fucking much. The fucking interview, like afterwards with this band, they're like, you know, we're doing this because we really think there's not enough awareness of like 80s rock and roll and we really want to bring that back. Just shut the fuck up. Oh my you God. You stupid pieces crash. of shit. <laughs> God, that made me more mad than anything. <laughs> so out of touch. So fucking lame. I hated that that they were here. Even with all of the fucking gray goo that we've been dealing with on this show, these guys are... I, I hate these guys the worst. It's like Wolf Mother, but better guitarist. They're Fuck. Just like doing, they're doing someone else's stuff. And they, they even said during the criticism, like, you know, you guys obviously can play your instruments, you have talent, but, like, you can't write songs. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's like the episode of Sopranos. Where are the fucking choruses? Spike up. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have Josie Pace from Detroit. It's this, this was essentially, good. It's industrial pop. Um, as I said, industrial affronted by Shirley Manson from Garbage. I, I thought this is actually really good. And it, yeah, it, it, they it. benefit from being different yeah. and having a look and a sound and clearly judging by their age they have been around a long time so they know yeah. what they're doing these poor background motherfuckers these these poor older men i think they someone casually dropped that someone else in the band was her partner and i don't know if that meant like music partner or like dating each other or together but uh, i wouldn't be surprised as um i think there was the one guy who was doing all the synths and stuff had the look as well because she had the red spiky pleather suit and the mohawk and he had some red suit going on and the drummer was yeah. like just in a track jacket i'm gonna tell you it's definitely the flock of seagulls haircut guy because yeah. and and this this guy is way too old for this hairstyle um but uh i think in a later episode that i, I caught a few seconds of he is like speaking on her behalf and the judges kind of made some negative comment about that like he's mansplaining some shit for mm. her benefit or something so i think if there is a partner it's got to be that guy mm. yeah Re regardless yeah. like this was genuinely one of the few bright spots of like bands on this show i thought, yeah, I thought it was, it was all right yeah it was all right uh industrial depeche Modi kind of stuff i uh tosin abasi's face gave it away he did not appreciate this I have a great I, I almost like cut out a perfect clip of like the band performing and then a cut to the judges table and there's Tosin on the end. Like, <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta put it on Twitter or something, but we can we can move on. I, I think for him he's someone who is a guitar virtuoso and does all that stuff and uh, probably seeing someone do bleep bloops uh just on a laptop doesn't impress him all that much. That don't yeah. impress uh, him much. And after that we had Callius from Cluster, New Jersey, with the song oh. "Supermassive." As a, as a person who loves instrumental metal, this sucked. <laughs> this was some of the worst. They said their big influence was Opeth, and they were like progish instrumental metal. Uh, all I could focus on was their goofy bass player, who was in the middle, just making the faces and doing the the bass player shimmying and stepping around. Yeah, that's the thing. When you're an instrumental band, you don't have a front man. And if you think you do, it's not this guy. This was more than anything a bad song. Yeah, um, I think Tosin was personally offended the most by this band because, 
And he really laid into people for it's like if you're going to make music like this, you got to be tight. Yep. You got to be on the click. Yep. You got to actually have arrangements that are interesting. None of that was going on here. You have seen a band just like Callius at your local dive bar metal show a million times. Like I, um, I, I can't imagine being this band and then having Tosin Abasi be like, "Okay, well, your shit kind of is whack." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are guys like I'm talking eight-string guitars, uh, making something kind of. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like if you think of a local instrumental metal band, it's just like this. Yeah. Um, we can. I I don't have anything else to say. We don't. I, I think Tosin went into the drummer about like losing the tempo and yep. stuff. He was vicious on this one. Yeah, when it comes to musicianship, he really laid into people because it, this band has talent. Like as individual players, like they can obviously play this stuff. But again, as songwriters, there's like not much there. And later on in the Mercy Council, they tell him like, "Would you consider having a singer? Because you need something. Because for most of these." instrumental metal bands there's really not much to get into unless you appreciate that musicianship and there's a place for that you have your sarah Longfields or like your electro quarter staffs and people dig it up to a certain point but uh it's really not what they're looking for and i don't think they're looking for like 11 minute interludes and changes and going back and forth from heavy to light and yeah later on they tell the judges like oh we usually just like paint ourselves and they I, didn't do that for this. I, I try not to get to music theory because I don't know that much about it. But your song needs a top line. Usually that top line is vocals. Yeah. If you're an instrumental band, you need you some need kind of melody to carry through. And, right. and with this, like I, I feel like I've been deeply involved in metal enough, especially in instrumental metal, to tell you that like there is no audience for this band. Like yeah. even among instrumental fans, like instrumental metal no fans, this is just it, this is nothing. This is absolutely nothing. It's it's fucking weirdly jam band music and it, it sucks. It's not There's it's no... not even that good to be honest no, with you. <laughs> no, very bad. Because um, this was probably I I think we're the most offended by this one because this is most in line with the stuff we might be willing to listen to out of the whole fucking bunch in this. Yeah. Um and 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 failed the hardest and all that. I don't know how all these other instrumental metal bands out there didn't get on this competition, but these guys did. I, I agree with you. It, it was funny to me. All the judges like, God, you normally paint yourselves, but you didn't paint yourselves for this. That would have made a huge difference. And I'm telling you, no, it would not have. It, w- <laughs> it would not have made a difference at all. No. And the final band on this episode, Morning Sun from San Antonio, Texas, with the song Ferocious Tongues. Metalcore-ish, death-ish sort of stuff. Eh. I remember eh. literally nothing about this band. This band is in your local venue right now. Yep. <laughs> They've never left. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm scrolling down like the list of bands from the actual list. Oh, there they are. Yeah, they were totally forgettable. Um, I I do feel like yeah, it it was very under oath. It was very like that kind of style of thing, like August Burns Red, but not as talented. Oh, I do remember now uh, because yeah. this is the band where Gavin Rosdale is like. I don't like it when bands uh, don't sing and they do the the dog barking thing. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. So we have the Mercy Council. Oh, wait, who won? Um, Josie Pace won. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, Yeah. the instrumental or the, sorry, the uh, industrial one. Yeah, that made sense. And we have the Mercy Council with Dave Blesko and Ash doing their thing. And um, the Mercy Council... Uh, what's his name? Uh, the 
Kalias with like the combination of Christopher Doe. I think they like yeah. wanted them to collaborate. Yeah, you're going to create something completely unlistenable with those two. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. I can't wait. I can't wait to see it on the show. I want to see the the dickhead operatic vocalists with the completely talentless uh, <laughs> instrumental metal band. I think that's going to do great for both of them. Well, I mean, he's used to a completely talentless instrumental band behind him, so there maybe he'll flourish. Yeah, there you go. Maybe he'll flourish. So, um, so I think th- we did go. We're we're so far over how long we normally do for an episode on this one, but I will say I had a lot of fun watching this show. You know, I probably I don't know if I would have watched it if it wasn't doing it for this show, but I did have a lot of fun with it. I am looking forward to seeing how it wraps up. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I did laugh out loud um, at a few points just because of how unnecessarily cruel some of the commentary was. Yes. From the judges. Like, uh, there's only so many times that, like, Tosin Abasi can just roast a drummer on tempo. But I don't know, man. I guess he's just used to the tightness. And, uh, good Yeah, show. I mean, I, I was entertained for what it is more than I thought I would be. You know, I wouldn't say most of these bands are good or the show is particularly good. Like I mentioned earlier, like there's lots of things they could have done to make this a better show and to stretch things out, to make it full episodes, like really telling us who these bands are. So like maybe we could root for someone or maybe we can kind of understand why they do things a certain way they do. Add some drama. Yeah. Add some drama, a couple more vwoms here and there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you know, it, it could have been a lot worse. If anything, I come out of this, uh, disliking Blasco and Ash a little bit more uh, than I was expecting just because yep. of how they carry themselves, what they say, and how they dress. Real L.A. Um, dickheads. But I am I am interested in seeing what else happens, and maybe for season two we could uh, submit Crotch Monster. <sighs> we need to get to work now, guys. All right, um, we do need to wrap it up here because uh, it's finals week and I have to edit this fucking show. Uh, so... Next week, we'll see you for the thrilling conclusion of season one of No Cover. Uh, As soon as we finish the show, I'm uploading the Patreon stuff for this month. So if you want to hear more episodes of this show or you want to get exclusive playlists and mixtapes and such, go over to uh, the, I don't know the URL, it's Patreon and Toilet of Hell. Fucking Google that. You'll find us. Patreon.com slash Toilet of Hell. There we go. Anything else, fellas? Nope, I'm just going to let everybody know. Uh, Keep it mediocre, and we'll see you next week. Hell yeah. Bye.
are listening to 66.6 FM, Radio TOVH, The Flush.